Dr. Geneva Speaks. Thank you for tuning in to Dr. Geneva Speaks, where you'll hear amazing leaders from across the nation and around the world. Your host, Dr. Geneva Williams, a cutting-edge, transformational leadership coach, hopes and believes this show will enlighten, entertain, and inspire you to make a difference in the world. So listen up as Dr. Geneva Speaks. Hi, I'm Geneva Williams, and welcome to our insightful looks into the hearts and heads of leaders from all walks of life that hopefully will inspire you to make a difference in yourself at work in your community. Today's guest is Monique Carswell. She is leading the path when it comes to cause-related marketing. Monique is no stranger to hard work and perseverance, and her passion and dedication are reflected in her many accomplishments that showcase her corporate leadership, community activism, and international flair. Graduating from University of Illinois College of Business, she's had a career in the corporate world with Hearst Magazine, Vive Magazine, Keen Management Group. Previously at Black Enterprise, Monique served as Director of Marketing and Strategic Partnerships, overseeing marketing and audience development for the print magazine, two nationally syndicated TV shows, new media, and events. Now, Monique made the leap from corporate to the nonprofit sector after deciding to permanently join her professional pursuits with her philanthropic values. Carswell has performed mission work in South Africa, studied the immigrant experience in France, and chaperoned youth on an educational tour throughout China. Now a Teach for America as Managing Director of National and Diversity Marketing, Monique was able to strengthen that organization's brand by leading compelling campaigns and cause marketing programs that drove awareness and activated key audiences, in addition to keeping corporate and celebrity partners engaged. Monique has addressed many audiences from Princeton to Rutgers, sharing her expertise and facilitation skills with hundreds of community leaders and entrepreneurs. Recognized by many as a thought leader in corporate social responsibility, a leader for causes, welcome, Monique. Thank you so much, Dr. Geneva. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're delighted to have you, and of course, your resume and the information I shared with our listeners is, is terrific. But give us a little glimpse, a little more glimpse into you, Monique. Tell us about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm a Chicago native, so I think that speaks volumes when I tell people about myself. I come from the West Side, which is a neighborhood that has predominantly been impoverished for many years, and I actually got into my profession because of my circumstances. So when I would go outside of my own neighborhood, I would see all of these glossy ads with women walking Dalmatians and spraying perfumes, but I come across, you know, my border a couple blocks away, and it would be nothing but cigarette and liquor ads, and I just thought I need to be that person at the table to control the messaging that comes into my community. So that's what actually made me pursue marketing. So that's at the heart of everything I do. I want to be able to empower people that I know 
you know, in, in a better position, they would actually choose more positive messages, more positive just products, they would, you know, have the opportunity to think differently if they knew differently. So I put myself in a position so that I can help others in everything I do. So how have you, um, you know, taken this passion for helping others and, and made it work in the corporate world? Interesting. It's been, it's been, you know, a steady climb. I think the corporate world is starting to take more interest in philanthropy, and it's becoming, you know, so dynamic that it's the norm these days where you have to have business and philanthropic um, partners in, um, you know, hand in hand doing work together. So that's the norm. But I would say when I started pursuing my actual career and started working my way up the ladder, I definitely went to all of my employers with the mindset that I am in this position looking to, one, obviously assume some type of leadership position, but at the same time know that I'm here because I see that there is more value in what you're doing, that I believe that I am working here not only to do your marketing programs but to to champion a cause. So, for example, when I was working at Cosmo Girl Magazine, it was definitely not rocket science. I mean, we were doing hard work keeping our readers entertained and up to date with the latest information, both pop culture and um, a lot of substance, because our actual tagline was that girls were born to lead, that they weren't just, you know, pretty faces. So every day I went into the office knowing that I was there to empower young women, not just to pitch ad programs to advertisers and big companies. So anytime that say an opportunity came up to speak to a a class, like at a career day or anything like that, I was the person in my office that everyone knew to go to. So I made it known that I'm here for both, you know, I have to keep the lights on, but at the same time, I'm also here to spread a message, and I want to be known as that person in the office who is resourceful, who is doing great work, but at the same time, when I leave these doors, I'm an ambassador for our program and for our, our actual organization, and I want you to know that I'm using that platform for a certain message, and that message is to empower people. So I always made it known when I walked into the door at any interview with any employer that I was here to be a conduit to helping them engage the community. So that's how just did, one uh, mm-hmm. how, did, how did your employers react to your passion? You know, I would say that it was well-received because I don't think that they were accustomed to having someone be so certain about it when they came in the door. So it was always on my resume. Like, I have a section that says community involvement and civic engagement. So it's not something that I shun. It's not something that you don't see on my LinkedIn profile when you look me up. It's something that I put at the forefront so you know what you're getting in advance. So when I say, hey, I'm taking a half a day to go be principal for a day, that they aren't looking at me oddly because they already know it's ingrained in who I am and my brand and my passion. So it wasn't something that was, you know, something that everybody was doing, but they took it as a positive. They took it as a, a as a pro because they knew that wherever I was, that I was representing them, that I was bringing, you know, tchotchkes and, and representing the brand and telling people. And if they knew me, they automatically associated 
my organization with whatever I was doing. So it couldn't do anything but help instead of hinder, you know, our pursuits as a business. So it wasn't something that I got a lot of backlash for. It was always, I don't know, it was well accepted because I think my approach was that it wasn't something that I tried to keep under the radar or tiptoe around. It was something that I was very proud of and I was bold about. Was there ever a a time, can you tell us about a time where you uh, worked with an employer or you had a situation where the employer wasn't as enlightened as uh, many of your employers were and, and really took a negative view or not such a positive view in terms of your passion for your community? Um, I will and say, you, you know, if people out in a more junior role, you have to know your place. So you can't necessarily ask to go speak at a conference for three days when the CEO or, you know, your publisher or your managing director is barely taking lunch. So you have to know mm-hmm. what, you know, you are, what type of surrounding and what type of culture your company has. So I will mm-hmm. say, and I, I won't name the employer, but I did get a little bit of what I would call maybe envy when I, you know, came into opportunities and people sought me out versus my supervisor or manager who may have been an expert in the same topic but maybe didn't have the vitality or didn't, you know, have the same approach as me and weren't necessarily that active in a in a either branding or or cause space. So if my name was associated and they called me and my title wasn't as high and I was a little bit more junior, it definitely, um, you know, caused some, some feathers to be ruffled at times. And that was just a nature of people's having, you know, hierarchy and title issues. But I always tried to make it so that I gave credit to my predecessors. So that was something I was very conscious about, and I was always very humble in asking, not necessarily just receiving and knowing that this is an automatic, oh, absolutely, you're going to let me attend this event. No, I was always making sure that I put the spin on it, that I came to my manager and said, here's what so-and-so has invited me to do, and here's how it can help us with XYZ goal. So I'll take some pamphlets, I'll do some giveaways, I'll register people for an event. You know, I always made it so that there was a return on the investment for letting me out the office. <laughs> Mhm. So, so you were able to uh, handle uh, those situations, still staying true to your passion, and also, I think I heard you talk a lot about communicate, be upfront, um, be very um, mindful of the various dynamics that are going on in the workplace. Exactly. Mhm. Mhm. And you know, you've had a fascinating career path. You spent a a good amount of time in the corporate world, and then um, now you're in the nonprofit space. Could you have ever imagined transitioning from the corporate world to the nonprofit sector? You know, as a uh, more, I don't know, civic-minded person, I always thought that my path would take me to a place where I was 
able to utilize my resources, so meaning um, that I would be able to be in a corporate position and use the the media power that they may have or the financial power that they may have to activate and help various communities. So I always thought about it from a perspective, let me get in the doors of the Fortune 500 company so I can, you know, be Robin Hood in a <laughs> sort of way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I did not necessarily think that the nonprofit path would be the one for me, but as I began to look at how I was spending my time outside of the workplace, it got to the point where I was always on so many boards, I was taking so many meetings and and trying to, you know, do all these events after work that were all cause-oriented. And I was spending my day, you know, doing things that were definitely, um, you know, my skill set in terms of marketing and communications, and I was always trying to take that and apply it to all the people I was trying to work with that I was working with after work. So I would help them figure out, how to use marketing to, you know, move their nonprofit forward or how to use communications to move their personal brand forward. And it just became to the point where I had an aha moment, actually. I was in a fellowship program, and the fellowship program was the space and time that I needed to actually think about myself. So, you know, us as as women, as leaders, we have so many strings that are pulling at us, and we don't necessarily get the time to just step back and reflect and carve out our plan for the year, because I remember when I was younger, you know, we had all these five-year plans, 10-year plans. I don't think that's realistic anymore. I think you need a a year-to-year, six-month plan, as dynamic as this world has become. I mean, you can still have your your goal-oriented nature in terms of that, that apex that you are trying to get to, but at the same time, these days and times, everything changes so quickly, so you, you need to be proactive and take opportunities as they come. And it just so happened that I had a friend who was at a nonprofit, and, who, and they were always poaching my friends. So they would go through my LinkedIn page and say, Monique, I see you know this person. Would you refer me because they were in HR? And then a light bulb went off when I was thinking through my next move, And I just reached out to them and said, hey, here's what I'm looking to do. So I didn't even see a job description or anything like that. I actually went to them and said, this is what I want to do. Is there any room at your organization, and it happened to be Teach for America, for me to do marketing and put them on the map and, you know, make them a household name? And they came back to me with the actual job descriptions. They, you know, asked my resume. It was like, we think you could do either this, this, or this. So I was in an interview process for about three different positions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've been very so you were able to so you were able to uh take your passion and create the job description. Exactly. So and, and I'm at that point now where I, I know exactly, you know, what it is and, and you know, you definitely need to get some tenure and some some um uh notches on your belt to get to that point, but I I have a very, very clear view of what it is that I want to do on a daily basis, and I know how to make that work for me in a professional setting. Mm -hmm. And so if you're just joining us, our guest today is Monique Carswell, dynamic, dynamic uh, cause-related leader. And and Monique, uh, you've been referred to by others as a leader for causes. What, What does that mean? 
to you, and why do you do what you do? Uh, I think it's it's a, it's twofold. I would say that a lot of people have not necessarily taken on the mantle of championing causes from a professional standpoint. So they do it as a feel-good volunteer effort, you know, soup kitchen or your church or some annual, you know, um, thing that you and your family may do to give back. But as I look at all the capabilities that these companies have and resources and the fact that they usually have some type of directive, either a a green initiative or how they can be, you know, uh, more inclusive from a diversity and inclusion standpoint, where they have to make sure that it's imperative to, to run an organization in a way that is tolerant and that is an environment where everyone is feeling positive about the company that they work for, you have to have even, like, employee engagement. So it's to the point where they need someone in place to actually facilitate this. So it can not necessarily just haphazardly happen in a way that is not organized and is not meeting some type of underlying objective for your company. So they know now that it's something that will actually have um add an element to the awareness that the, you know, greater public has about their organization. So when you look at something like a net promoter score and you look at how people are familiar with who you are and what you do and where you stand in terms of your values as an organization, they know that Target rolls up, you know, the the money from the car to a local school that they selected or they know that Ford has a foundation and they're giving scholarships. So they have this, especially millennials, they have this underlying need to feel that they are contributing to something larger than themselves. And I think I may have missed so, part of the question. <laughs> no, 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 you're right, because what you're saying is that the uh, the uh, corporate goals, uh, there there needs to be an alignment with the social causes. And so if you can find that niche so that championing causes from a professional stand, uh, professional point of view, in fact, works for both the company and the employee. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what brings... Uh, do you think, in in terms of all you've been doing, what brings the most purpose to your career and your life? Oh, that's a a loaded question. Um, (laughs) I would say it's it's about youth, so all of my successors, and one that's very personal to me is my younger sister. So I have a 21-year-old sister, my only sibling, and she is someone who looks to me as a role model. And a lot of people don't like to take on that title, but I was someone who was in her life both as a sister and kind of sort of as an authority figure as well because I, I practically helped, you know, raise her because I was so much older than she was. I was going to college when she was going to kindergarten. So. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have I have this responsibility to just not only her, 
but to her entire generation because I feel like they are inundated with messages and you know, images and media and they aren't socializing and they don't know how to, you know, navigate a actual interview or to put together a stellar resume or to, you know, host their own dinner party, like very, very simple etiquette things. I think that they are so far removed from the day-to-day, you know, just that commonality and just talking to somebody just because you're sitting next to them on the subway. Like, that—that that, that is unheard of to them. They'd rather talk person, you know, miles and miles away about nothingness than to have a real genuine off-the-cuff conversation. So I am in a position where I can be, a, you know, a spokesperson for – just women in general, and then youth in helping to um, provide some type of of experience for them that is still, you know, technically savvy, it's still digital, it's still dynamic, and it's still fun and cool, but at the same time, it is something that I feel that they are being desensitized to as far as just, like, having a community and being part of something larger than themselves. So that is my long answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and so what are some of the so, – so what do younger leaders do? Uh, what should they do? What are the, the tips or the resources that you could share? Absolutely. So a lot of young people I – I engage with a, a myriad of them. So I, I know some who are at the top of their game. They are, you know, type A. They are completely just absorbed in the right college, the right resume, the right job, the right internship, just trying to set themselves up for life. And then I know some who are on the other side of the spectrum where they didn't have any role models. They don't know very many professionals. They don't know anyone in their family who's gone to school let alone who's an executive at a corporation. So it's it's a different degree of how you have to approach both of those situations. But in general, I would say to create a path for yourself where you at least you have an entryway. So even if it isn't an internship, that you can just come in and shadow someone or you can have an externship or you can have a a, you know, a digital pen pal, or you can read a remarkable biography and that person be a friend in your head that you've never met, but they've still distilled all this information. So I think reading, just reading and absorbing all that you can about a specific career or industry, if that's what you want to do. So if you, you know, if you know you want to get in technology, if you know you want to um, be a, I don't know, you could be, you want to be a curator, like, I think that people feel as though, you know, you have to have these certain segments of career that are going to be actually paid well and, and, and have some type of status with them. But I tell people all the time, the world is still your oyster as far as young people are concerned. So uh, a couple of tips for them I would have is, is to read, to to reach out to people. So this is something that I've been actively teaching my sister is that she has the advantage of youth. She can just email someone and they might, you know, be more responsive to her than they would to me knowing that she's a college student, she's been following them and likes, 
you know, what she's seeing as far as their career and how she can learn from them um, versus, you know, an adult who is trying to change careers and has to figure out that world and navigate a little bit differently. So I say to to create, you know, an online profile that's professional. So I, I see a lot of people have, you know, just crazy uh, names and and email addresses still, even in this day, and and they put up pictures that will never go away of them doing crazy things. And Mm -hmm. so I tell a lot of young people just be mindful of what you're posting because it's there and not going away. (laughs) Yes. But also make use of the digital marketing, but do it in the right way, I heard is one of the tips. And, And also this reading and learning about the industry. And then you also brought up another great tip, the the whole um, notion of looking for and getting internships, uh, paid or not, and volunteering at some place or the industries where you might be interested in. Absolutely. I think a, a lot of people are so accustomed to, you know, you, trying to, to make a check, um, get a check, especially young people. And I interned for free at so many places. It was like the corporate world's biggest scheme because they got a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> of labor out of me. And no one wants mm-hmm. to intern for free anymore. They think that that's mm-hmm. fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're so very passionate about um, your desire to influence young people and bring about change. Monique, who influenced you? Who are some of the people or an individual who most influenced you in your life and career? Yes, so I did think about that as I was preparing for this conversation and just thinking about leadership in a traditional sense. And I would have to say one of my mentors is actually she was my hiring manager at Black Enterprise. She is now with Pepsi, and her name is Joanna. Uh, She is someone who was it, – it it occurred to me that leadership in a very traditional sense is how people want to, to weigh your abilities. So, for example, you go to an interview, you're trying to get a job, they want to know how many people did you manage. They want to know, you know, if you were promoted, what type of responsibilities you had in terms of a budget and how much you were responsible for. But Joanna taught me that leading can happen in an unconventional way. So it's it's harder to influence people you don't directly manage. So, for example, I do a lot of um, – I sit on a lot of boards of different volunteer organizations, and these are volunteers. They don't directly report to me in a traditional sense. They don't owe me anything. They are doing this because they are giving of their time willingly and freely with no coercion in terms of getting a paycheck at the end of, you know, mm-hmm. every So it's a lot harder to motivate and manage individuals in a non-traditional sense when your title isn't necessarily giving you that access and that power, when you have to exert your own personal, you know, um, influence over a group of people, and you just have to rally the troops and you have to motivate them from a very genuine place of, of, of care and concern about a bigger project than yourself. 
versus just working and, and leading for, you know, a company. So I would say mm-hmm. her because she was always very, very uh, encouraging of me in the things that I was doing, even if I was, quote, unquote, just a coordinator or just a manager at some point. And mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. had quickly because she believed in me and just gave me opportunities because she knew mm-hmm. that, you know, I was trusted and capable of doing the work, but she also knew that everything I was doing outside of work was also adding to my value. So she helped you learn that it's it's really not just about the title or position, but really the care, the concern, um, how you can influence um, others based upon how you connect with them and how you you can be concerned and caring about them as people. Absolutely, and how you can transfer yes. those skills. So those skills outside of work, how you can transfer them professionally. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Well, Monique, it has just been an absolute delight talking with you. I could go on and listen to you for hours and hours and, and learn much more, and hopefully we can have a, another conversation. I understand you're... Um, again, doing so many wonderful things, including a, a, a big con- international conversation you're having this Saturday, uh, November 21st, in, in New York uh, with the uh, Deltas. Uh, yes, I'm a member of and Manhattan Chapter, yes, of Delta Sigma Theta, where I chair the International Awareness and Involvement Committee, as you know. Um, you know, just humanitarian efforts across the globe is something that I'm very passionate about. So I'm having a conversation in New York at Fort Washington Church, um, Fort Washington Collegiate in Inwood, yes. uh, Manhattan, at 11 a.m. on the 21st. It's about the refugee crisis and how it's linked to human trafficking. So it's a very, phenomenal. very um, full conversation. So I'd love for folks to join me. That's phenomenal. And, again, you are a leader for causes. Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll ask uh, you back again. Thanks for tuning in and to Dr. Again, Geneva listen. Speaks. Dr. Geneva Williams, an expert facilitator and leadership coach, lecturer, and keynote speaker. For more information on Dr. Geneva, visit her online at www.drgenevaspeaks.com. That's drgenevaspeaks.com.